Psalm 77. You know, as my wife and I have traveled and the later years, uh, we've noticed that there is a a number of God's people sitting properly dressed, proper appearance, the proper hellos and the proper greetings, and then sit in their pew, seething, and in many cases angry and angry at God. And uh, we've seen that result when I have preached on that topic at men's conferences. It has been one of the greatest responses because hearts have begun to turn, turn cold. And the sweet memories of what used to be get overshadowed by the nasty now. And the memories that used to be have turned into very sour things. And whatever that is, whether it's a cancer report or whether it is a, a, a losing a loved one or whether it's a tragedy within the family, uh, whatever that is. And bitterness, subtle anger, some, and I say subtle anger, not outside anger when somebody is greeted, hey, how are you? I'm angry at God. How are you? Now, you're not going to get that. But some people will sit and say, is God not hearing Does God not know? Does God not see what's happening? Does he not care about our family? Does he not? And and on and on. And and then yet we have to get dressed. We have to drive. We have to come into church. And we have to at least act in a way that everything is fine. Because we're afraid, almost becoming afraid to be honest. And it would be so refreshing sometimes if somebody met you at the door and say, Hey, how are you? Say, to be honest, do you have a minute to pray? Let's get in this side room over here. To be honest, I need to, I need to share. I'm struggling. And you know what? If that atmosphere got in the church, not everybody is, is struggling. No, but when somebody is, the church ought to be a place where somebody can come and hurt out loud. And not be afraid of rejection because of something that has happened or, or, or some thought that has come. And uh, where you say, hey, praise the Lord, let's grow together in, in that. So it's interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the leader of the praise group of Israel. The head of praise and worship of the nation of Israel. His name is Asaph. And on two different occasions, Asaph challenged God in deep depression. And two separate chapters, very clearly. Here's the guy who has to get people praising. Here's the group worshiping. In fact, when Israel went into battle and the message was given and Sennacherib was rattling His arrogance. Don't you trust your God? God said, let me take care of this. I'll I'll take care of this. Hezekiah laid the letter out before the Lord. and God, you read this. I can't handle this. God said, I'll take care of it. So 
We're going to battle. Guess who goes first? The choir. I told Charlene I would have such a sore throat. <laughs> that, man, I can't sing to save my hide. Because they sent the worshipers first into battle. Because God said, you know why? They're lifting me up and I'm going to take care of their fight. And boy, if we can learn this weekend to lift him up in our hearts. Let him take care of the burdens. Let him take care of the fights. Let him take care of those things that cause anxiety in our hearts. And you, my wife and I watch very, very little television for the last long while. Why? You say, we're going to have supper and then kind of relax and watch the news. You go to bed mad enough to mug an Avon lady. And... uh, and you think, oh, this is not going to happen here. And, and so why bother? You know, why, why get yourself all messed up and you're wide awake till two in the morning and your hands are going like this? And that's not healthy uh, for you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we cannot understand that. And, uh, and so the present and the past sometimes in our minds are two different worlds. And you know, we long for what was, because it isn't anymore. Which is the time when God is wanting to take us and show himself to us in such a mighty way that we will say, thank you, Lord, for that valley. Thank you, Lord, for that darkness. Thank you, Lord, for that time when we were forced to your bosom. But it's also helpful to know that other people have been there. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, probably the most quoted expositor of this generation for years and years. Who doesn't have, in, if you're in pastoral or leadership ministry, who doesn't have the treasury of David? Who doesn't have the commentaries of Spurgeon? But here is what we see. It's helpful to know. For example, and I studied James Montgomery Boyce, and I studied the uh, writings of Spurgeon himself in the Psalms commentaries. Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote in his commentaries, and this is from the Treasury of David. Many of you have that. In those 20 years, and he wrote, that commentary on the Psalms, the Treasury of David, from 1865 to 1885, last 20 years of his life. In those 20 years, he experienced poor health, which continued to his death. Neuralgia, gout left him with swollen, red, painful limbs, so he often could not walk or even write, debilitating bouts of depression, headaches, added to these other ills, to the frightful bouts of depression, which left him nearly in despair. This is Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher who preached to thousands every Sunday. He left London for the warmer weather of southern France, where he made a departure to his eternal home. And here's what Spurgeon said concerning Psalm 77. In his commentary, he said, Some of us know what is both physically and spiritually to be compelled to use these words. That is the words of Psalm 77. Asaph pouring his heart out to God. 
No respite has been offered by the silence of the night. Our bed has been a rack to us. Our body has been in torment. Our soul in anguish. Alas, this author, i.e. speaking of himself, knows the deep glens of lonely caves of soul depression. And my spirit knows full well your awful gloom, your meaning, Asaph. As though Spurgeon were addressing Asaph. And so my topic tonight is symptoms and solutions of depression. What a way to begin a family weekend. Well, I hope you all leave depressed. That's, my, that's one of my goals. If you came happy, I hope I can mess that up for you. Now, I want us to look at this passage that I think would be so helpful to us. And I think very, very encouraging to us. Especially when we know that the one pouring out his heart was the one who was in charge of the praise and worship of the nation of Israel. That was his role. Psalm 77, verse 1, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, even unto God with my voice. And he gave me year to me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Thou beholdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I communed with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. First of all, the symptoms of depression that we see in the text. Number one was an overwhelmed spirit. Overwhelmed spirit. Look what he says in verse 3. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. In other words, think on that. Don't just buzz over that. The Selah is saying, think on that. Overwhelmed spirit. Proverbs 15 and verse 13. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but the sorrow of the heart, the spirit, is broken. By the sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. Sometimes we get very sorrowful in our heart. And our spirit gets broken as we look at that time. Anxiety in the heart, Proverbs 12:25. Anxiety in the heart causes depression. But a good word from the Lord makes it glad. So as we get the word of God sinking into our souls, so we see an overwhelmed spirit. Then we see an uncomforted soul. Look in verse 2. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. In other words, trying Trying to be comforted. Trying to come up with something. God, help me hang on to something from this that will comfort me during this time of anxiety in my soul. And Asaph said, I was uncomforted. My spirit was overwhelmed. We get sometimes feeling like if one more straw drops on our hay wagon, all four tires are going to blow on the way to the barn. Because you think, how much can I take? Now, some people have never experienced any any hardship. Uh, eventually, 
before you meet the Lord, there is probably going to be something that comes into the life that's going to drive you to see Him high and lifted up. That we don't see when everything is hunky-dory in our, in our spirits. Uncomforted soul. And then notice in number four, troubled sleep. I am, I behold mine eyes waking. In other words, he couldn't sleep. Ever go to bed at night? You lay on your left side. That doesn't work. Lay on your right side. That doesn't work. Or do like me sometimes, lay on my stomach and rock. And uh, maybe you've tried that. You cannot sleep. And Charlene and I the other night had a night like that. I don't know why. But it seemed like every hour I said, did you sleep okay? No, I'm up every hour. How about you? No, I was up every hour. I don't know what's going on. Age. That's what it is, old age. I don't want to admit that. But trouble sleep. That's why I think it's so good for you to have the Word, have music. I don't know how many are within the range of VCY radio that has uh, music till dawn. Boy, it's a great thing just have that playing where the music is going and the words that of comfort that are inserted in between sometimes and uh, and helps you to focus the thinking. What Charlene and I have done is during some of these times, uh, just take that time to pray. We have a prayer list of people and so many with cancer, so many dying with COVID. So we just lost another dear friend. And I don't think it was COVID. I think it was a combination of being 91 years old. and and uh, but But yet a precious, precious friend. You hate to lose them. I was sick when I heard of that student's dad who died. I was, I was so thrilled when he got back from Florida. I said, how's your dad? He said, doing great. Got word. Yesterday, dad died. And I, my heart just ached with that. Because I know how he cried out. I know how that family cried out unto the Lord. And that, that pastor just went home. Home to be with the Lord. You can't grieve for him. I was so sad when I heard that Tom Farrell, I mean, a dear, 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 dear friend with brain cancer. Dealt Faisonville, 42 years old, I remember brain cancer. I remember going to see him before he was promoted. Suddenly you come to the point of realization, this thing is quick. This is over in a hurry. But here he is saying, troubled sleep. Uncomforted soul. Overwhelmed spirit. Troubled sleep. And then silenced speech. Verse 4. I am so troubled I cannot speak. Ever get so depressed? And I think the Apostle Paul got into this position one time. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, God opened a door wide open for me to preach the gospel. But I found not Titus, my brother. I don't think, I think Paul was in such a depression of spirit at that point. I don't think he could open his mouth to preach. He had to go and find 
Titus, who is this Titus touch. You know what we need sometimes? We need the Titus touch. You know why we need these kind of weekends? I, I don't know of another church on it. I don't know of another church that we have been in. And Charlene and I were talking on the way here. That does this. Why do we need this? Because we need the support of one another. Even those who can make it. Those with the beehive scenario. What in the world? I mean, our, our daughter and son-in-law had a house in South Carolina. And I forget how many. I mean, pounds and pounds and pounds of pounds of honey they pulled out of that. And bees. The, the entire walls were full of bees. And they got a beekeeper to come in who was glad to take them because they take them down to the to the orange groves down in Florida and make a few bucks on them. But what next? But then you see, you know what? God knows all of that silent speech. Ever have your phone ring and not ring, but name comes up. And you say, you know, I know. Uh, no, uh, this, my lips are sealed. <laughs> They're sealed. You know what David said? I used to think it was a gossip where David said, uh, guard my lips when the enemy is before me. I don't think, I used to say, well, maybe David was afraid of maybe gossiping. No, you know what, David, when you study the context, he was in deep, deep distress. And he said, God, please put a guard about these lips so nothing that's stewing within me now slips into my lips and the wicked can hear it and accuse his God before them. Because David said, don't let my lips slip anything of what's going on within my soul right now. Silenced speech. And then diligent search in verse 6. He said, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Uncomforted soul, overwhelmed spirit, troubled sleep, silent speech. Now making diligent search. God, where are you? Are you hearing? And then he goes into six rhetorical questions. And obviously a rhetorical question, the answer, you know what the answer is. But he goes into six rhetorical questions. Why? Because he is making diligent search. Habakkuk did this. You remember Habakkuk? He went to God and said, God, don't you see that the Assyrians are more wicked than we are? And you are going to use the Assyrians to bring judgment on us? Can't you see what's happening, God? And God says, Habakkuk, it's going to get worse. And yes, I am going to use the wicked Assyrians to bring judgment on you. But I will deal with the wicked in my way and in my time. But what's the next phrase? But the just shall live by his faith. That's the answer. Habakkuk said, I'm going to sit and listen. What does God say to me now? And God says... Habakkuk, I'll take care of the wicked and the arrogant in my way and in my time. And you know, God has a whole lot better way. I have a lot of good ideas. Charlene said, you have a lot of good ideas, just the wrong country. <laughs> and so, she has a point. But God knows how to take care of things. 
Isn't it fun just to rest in Him when we finally get to the point of settling and resting in Him? The just shall live by His faith. How do we live in a generation going at a breakneck speed away from God's absolute truth? By faith. If you want an encouraging chapter, read Hebrews chapter 11, and you see those who by faith went against impossible odds, some cut in half, some dragged to death. And God said, of whom the world was not worthy. God said, to be honest, the world didn't, wasn't worthy to have them walking on its surface. That's the roll call of the heroes of faith. And so he asked the rhetorical questions. Verse 7, Lord Will you cast off forever? In other words, God, will you cast us off forever? Then he says, will you be favorable no more? Well, he knew the answer to that, but yet his soul was pouring out these questions. Is his mercy clean gone? Asaph knew better than that because his whole life was given to praise and worship of the one that he was now questioning. He won't cast you off. He won't cease being favorable. No, his mercy is not clean gone. Does his promise fail forevermore? In other words, God, are your promises no more being fulfilled? You ever go to your knees with your Bible and you're pointing at a verse and claiming a promise and in your mind God is not hearing. So you're saying, are your promises no good anymore? This is what Asaph was saying. Has God forgotten to be gracious? The gracious God, no, he has forgotten to be gracious. He knows better than that. Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. There you go. Think on that. Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? In other words, since God, because God is angry, he has now closed off the mercy, closed off the love, closed off the promises, closed off his favor. And Asaph knows better. But what happens in this chapter? I now go to the solutions to depression. The symptoms we studied during those first six verses. The questions that came. Now, what's the solution to depression? Look in verse 11. I will remember the works of the Lord. You'll notice 18 times in those first six verses... I, me, my, personal pronouns, personal pronouns, personal pronouns. And what was Asaph's problem? It was all about him. It was all about his situation, all about his circumstance. And when we get to that point in life where everything is about us, everything is about me, we will get ourselves dug into such a deep, dark hole it will take a lot of time in praying and counseling and, and focusing on God to bail out of that hole because we start questioning the goodness of God. And he said, remember now the works of God. You know what would be good for us as an entire family, kids included here? Keep a works of God journal. 
What a good time to start your works at God Journal. Some of you young people probably already have that. How have I seen God work? Those of you who went to Northland will remember Monday Chapel. Every Monday Chapel was Works of God Chapel. How have we seen God alive in the last seven days? Not, I don't want to hear about last summer when you had a great picnic and Aunt Emma finally came. What happened in the last seven days? How have we seen God alive? And you know what? Every single chapel we had to cut the testimonies off. Of how I've seen God alive in my life in the last seven days. And when you start a works of God journal, you will start beginning to marvel at the wonderful works of God. You remember when Israel crossed the Jordan and God said, take these stones, take the 12 stones, build an altar. And then when, in days to come, when your children ask, what mean these stones? Then you shall tell your children what? The works of God. How has God worked? You want a blessing? Talk to Dr. Tillerson, who is here now with his wife about the works of God the last five years. Miraculous works of God. Unexpected works of God. Just related to the ministry of Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. God's provision of dollars and God's provision of help and God's provision of people and personnel and the things that God has given. And I'll tell you what, you can get yourself in a hole of depression, but when you start thinking of the works of God, you got up this morning. You walked. I was not able to for several weeks. Just recently, the fact that I'm standing up here and walked up here, stumbling though I was, I'm talking about a miracle. Not a healing. I didn't call Benny in because he was so tied up I couldn't even get a hold of him. <laughs> I'm talking about God answering prayer. We have always kept the works of all the years that we were on the road. We kept the works of God journal. We kept the prayer on the uh, prayer list on the refrigerator in our airstream trailer. Now these evangelists and big land yatches, or what do they call them? Land yachts. I call them yatches. <laughs> we were in a, we called it our silver pickle. The thing was so small you had to go on a church parking lot to change your mind. You couldn't, there was no room inside. <laughs> Husband, wife, three kids, a dog, and a parakeet. The parakeet finally saw her break. We were in Florida. The door was open. The cage door. See you later. She said, enough of this. Her wrists were about that thick from bouncing on that thing in that trailer. That might have been a little exaggeration. I'm not sure. But when you look to see the, the wonders, and we, and we kept a journal praying. We prayed specifically for a Ford Club wagging with captain's chairs. Because our kids saw one in Florida at a gas station. They said, Dad, that would be so perfect. Because we were pulling a 6,500-pound airstream with a Buick LeSabre. 
I put a transmission cooler on it. We pulled every mountain range in the United States with that vehicle ever. And uh, thank the Lord for that trailer break because we had to stop with the trailer, not the car. The ca- trailer would have pushed us right through every red light. But year, one year and a half later, we're in Redding, California. And uh, a man comes up to me Friday morning. He says, uh, there's a new van for you. You don't have to Ford dealers. I said, a what? He said, there's a new van for you at the Ford dealers. I said, what do you mean? He said, I got, we saw what you and Vernon were driving. We got him one, we got you one. And, uh, and they're down at the Ford dealers. So I said, you mean you bought us a van? We drove down there, you know what? Ford Club Wagon Captain stairs, two gas tanks. Had a hole in the middle so you can set up a table in the middle. There was a full bed in the back. In our LaSaver, the kids had no room to fight. <laughs> and when you start slugging, slugging then it, sometimes we get hit up front. So they got plenty of room to swing back there. Go at it. Don't bother us. And because uh, they're going to fight. Might as well put, put their 12-ounce trainers on and, or 16-ounce training gloves. But what a blessing when we saw, we drove that 198,000 miles pulling a trailer. I traded it for a power wagon that I, that we eventually uh, got all fixed up. Works of God and over and over and over and over and over and over. I remember our daughter Lisa had... All of us, there are several in our family that had tongue-tied, and, and I had a real bad list, but Lisa, was her tongue was tied behind. My brother Stan got his clipped. I never bothered clipping mine, but we took, she was six years old, we took her to the dentist. And this is a good family lesson here. We were on road by faith. We didn't have an income. Whatever people wanted to give us as we were out there, the life action team didn't have uh, there was no salaries there. You raised your own support as a home missionary. And the dentist, uh, we thought we should need to get a checkup. But the dentist said, you realize your daughter has to get surgery because her gums are being pulled away from her bottom teeth. And uh, you, you knew, we'll get you an appointment with, a, with an oral surgeon. So so we, we set that up. We thought... Where in the world are we going to get money for an oral surgeon? So we set the appointment and went in. Uh, the, the lady was explaining everything that was going to go on. And and so uh, then she, I don't remember, she gave the exact price or whatever it was going to be. And then when she left, uh, Charlene and I were talking and Lisa heard us talking. And I said, how are we going to pay for this? I mean, how are we going to pay for this? And they had to have the money before we left. So I thought, oh, I'm going to call some friends in Michigan. I'll call somebody, you know. And so, and the doctor came in and told Lisa, this is going to be very simple. And this is what I'm going to do. It's very simple. And so we wait. She goes into surgery. They call us into the recovery room. 
Lisa is waking up, and the first thing she said, there's nothing simple about this. <laughs> nothing simple about this. And uh, the second, remember, honey, second thing she asked, how are we going to pay for this? I said, Lisa, has God ever not taken care of us? No, and here I'm thinking, that's a good question. <laughs> I think that's a good question. The lady comes in who set us up. The appointment, you remember, was she the office manager or something? She was explaining the papers. And we noticed when she's explaining this, tears are coming down her cheeks. She looked at me and said, me and my husband are paying for this. She said, we were in a service last night and my husband got saved. And uh, we're paying for this. We had no, no, you know what? Works of God. Well, if that doesn't bail you out of doldrum sometime when you start reviewing the goodness of God. But I'll tell you, some people never make any steps of faith that they, they don't really see. How has God worked? And the wonders of God, look in verse 11. I will remember the wonders of old. You go back, look back in history at the wonders of old. Think of all of the men who were in arrogance, took on God Almighty. Moses said, who is the Lord? I think God says, Moses, he just took me on. You can relax. And to illustrate what Jehovah means, God gave ten very effective visual aids. We know them in history as what? The plagues. And boy, he had that whole crew nervous. You know what God said? I'll take care of my people. I'll take care of my people. And the wonders. Nebuchadnezzar. Thought he was something. They talked. He built this huge 90-foot head of gold, arms of silver, belly of brass, legs and waist of steel and iron and clay mixed together in the feet. And this was going to be the point of worship. And these, these people who were phonies goes to him and said, Shadrach and Beshach and Abednego didn't bow when the music started. Isn't it funny? Those who never budge are the ones who call called rebel rousers. Well, I'm where I stood a long time ago. Who moved? Who bowed? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they said, heat the furnace seven times hotter. Nebuchadnezzar now in his arrogance. So what does he do? Heats the furnace seven times hotter. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which was all named after their gods. That wasn't their original name. They were named after their gods. Threw them in. Nebuchadnezzar said, I thought we put three and I see four. And the fourth is like unto the Son of God. What did they say before they went in? They said, Oh, King, we're not careful to answer you in this. We're, we're not arrogant here. But the God whom we serve is able. He's able to deliver us. But if not, 
We will not bow. Boy, for young people, you, you young people take a lesson. No, I'm not going to bow. Nebuchadnezzar then says, boy, there's no other God like that. And then he gets back in arrogance again. He got his strut back. God turned him into a hippie. At least the first hippie on grass. And so here he is. And here he is. Now, finally, after this experience of humbling he said, all of the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does everything according to his will. None can stay his hand and say, what doest thou? What a testimony. Would I be out of whack to say, I think we'll see him in heaven? I think he finally made an acknowledgement. Of the King of Kings and the Lord. That's who we serve. Keep a record of it. Admire his wonders. Just this past spring, I was getting more and more difficulty walking. And I would have Charlene work on my back with a massager and then get all kinds of anti-inflammatories and Rubs and it just kept getting worse and worse. And well, bottom line, we, we made a couple of trips to Ankeny and I made a couple of trips out. In fact, I ended up falling in the airport in North Carolina. I had my walker, I got you at TSA, and I was heading towards Delta Gate, and my legs totally gave out. The pain was so excruciating. I'm, my legs just went, and my walker went flying, my glasses went flying, and I'm laying in my suit on the airport in airport in North Carolina. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Charlene is waiting for me in Green Bay. And, and I'm thinking, do I call 911? If I could remember 911's number, I would have probably called them. But I couldn't remember their number. And I'm laying there. And if you wanted a, a, if you wanted to find meekness in the dictionary and put a picture of my face there, you would have seen it exactly. I was meek. Helpless. I got helped up, went to Delta Gate. They got me on the plane in a wheelchair and got me to Atlanta. Off the plane in a wheelchair, got me on the plane to go to Green Bay. Charlene picked me up, and then we drove back to Ankeny for the last week of school. And I did a, a couple of classes for Monty Kaufman and, and a chapel, and, and then went to commencement in a wheelchair and then sat for three weeks praying, Oh, God. I've always wanted to learn how to yodel, and I finally did. I mean, the pain was so bad. I mean, I was hitting high C above high C. And you asked my wife, I mean, she said, Honey, let, we, we're going to have to get you to the hospital. I said, Honey, they can't do anything. I'll lay in the waiting room, and then they'll, they'll have four different people come and look at me, and they'll say, You're hurting. Yeah, I know. That's why I came here. And uh, I said, I, I might as well have you tell me you're hurting, and... And you know what? We hadn't slept for many nights. And my wife said, I'm going back to bed in our little duplex there at, across from campus. And I said, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray specifically because I talked to Barb Corey, a friend of ours the night before. I said, specific 
praying. I'm going to pray specifically. And Barb said, I'll pray specifically. And I said, God, show me somebody. Show me something. God, today, give me an answer. I got two phone calls. One from a neurosurgeon in Minneapolis. Because Dr. Palagumi there and did the, ordered the MRI and had that. But where are you going to find an excellent neurosurgeon in a, in a week or two? You can't. And I said, God, show me something. Somebody. And I was in such agony and twisted like a pretzel trying to find some comfortable. Eight o'clock that night, I get a phone call from the most well-known surgeon in the Southeast. Eight o'clock, I answer my cell phone. Hello. Hi, I'm Dr. Mina. How can I help you? And Dr. Mina's name had been given to us as the top neurosurgeon in the whole Southeast. But you can't get into her office. Our friends had tried to get in two months for an appointment, some three months for an appointment, just to get in the office. She called me. How can I help you? I said, do you think you can? She said, absolutely, but I need to see the MRI. So Charlene Overton had the MRI. She called back when she read it and said, how soon can you get here? Our daughter Tammy flew from South Carolina. She drove our car. I, I got comfortable. I got some, some uh, whatever painkiller they, they gave me. It was to get through that trip. And uh, oxycodone, I think it was, to get through the trip. I got down there and, and this, this surgeon had me set up, come in my office Monday We've got cardio clearance Tuesday, pre-op Wednesday. I'm going to operate you on Thursday. Bing, bing, bing. And she shoehorned me in to her surgery schedule. I stand here pain-free. And what she did, she got into my back. And it was not just the pinching from the arthritis. There was a growing cyst. There was an arthritic cyst, she said. She'd seen it three times in her surgeries, growing in the center of my spine. And it got larger. She illustrated larger, 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 larger. Then it bled inside of itself and got large. That's when I probably went down. Because it was so, she said, had nowhere to go. Your legs would be numb here. I, I said, everything was numb. My feet, my legs, my groin, the whole area was numb. And so then I started a month recovery at our daughter's place. And you know what we do? As Charlene and I pray, we praise. Now, when I was talking to God, I said, God, I am not belly aching. I'm praising you. The verse God gave me, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And I said, God, I am thanking you for this. I really am. You know best. But I am pleading with you with thanksgiving. And, and nobody, even the surgeons that my daughter worked with as a nurse down there in South Carolina, said, your dad got who? And she called him? How? And Tammy said, answered prayer. Wonderful, wonderful works. Well, I need to stop. I'm still not finished. In fact, I'm just getting out of second gear. But I'm done.
because I'm getting ready to go into the worship of God. And we'll cover that. And when we stop to think how great he is. You know, there was uh, William Graham Scroggy, great theologian, tells of visiting Benjamin Parsons, who was an old-time pastor years ago. Benjamin Parsons, a godly pastor, Scroggy said, I went to visit him at the hospital. And he was on his deathbed. He knew that it was just a matter of perhaps hours. Parsons was on his deathbed. Scroggy says, a nurse came into the room and asked Benjamin Parsons if he wanted a pillow to be more comfortable. And he said, no, he said, my heart is resting on three pillows now. He said, the pillow of God's infinite power, the pillow of God's infinite love, and the pillar of God's pillow of God's infinite wisdom. He said, I'm very comfortable. Parting words that slip into eternity. Isn't that comforting? You know, sometimes you go through heartaches and I, I might touch on the topic in one of our sessions. What do you do when normal is no more? What do you do when normal is no more? And yet we see his greatness and his wonder. And I pray this week and we'll see God like we have never seen him. His greatness, his power, his majesty. And tomorrow I'm going to share the sovereign working of God of how that surgeon was set up. And that happened like nine years earlier, how she was set up to do that phone call to me. And I'll, I'll share some of that tomorrow as God's amazing grace. So thank you so much.